Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. Today, we continue our series with Cal Aim, and I had the privilege of sitting down with Cal Optima CEO, Michael Hun. Now, Michael has been a pillar in the healthcare community for many years, but his career actually started with the clergy, and he was a priest. Michael shares his journey as a young man and how he ultimately made the switch over to healthcare, where he's been serving for many decades, and as I mentioned earlier, is a well-known leader in healthcare. Now, little do many of us know, Orange County actually has a very large population of folks on Medi-Cal, where 27% of the population are managed by Cal Optima. Today, Michael shares a little bit more about Cal Optima and how they're working with Cal AIM with a focus on enhanced care management and also housing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Pop Health Podcast. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us on our YouTube channel, pophealthpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Good morning, Michael. Thanks so much for joining the show. Gavin, good morning. I hope you had a nice weekend. I did. Uh, we're recording uh, right after Easter, so had a great Easter weekend, and I know uh, you did as well uh, with your family talking off the air. So we had a similar similar day as yesterday. Um, so Michael, one of the things we like to do on the show before we get into Caloptima and a little bit about some of the work that you guys are doing is getting to know the guest a little bit. So for you, could you share something about yourself, maybe outside of the Caloptima hat, uh, fun fact, hobby, something like that? No, I started very early in the travel industry. I used to be a tour guide uh, all through college and graduate school. So I had the great fortune of being able to travel the United States, Canada, and literally I was able to circumvent the world on Pan Am uh, through one of the travel agencies I worked with. So I uh, started out very early with a great appreciation for many cultures and many languages around the world. That's really neat. Uh, do you speak any other languages? No, unfortunately. Um, I was fairly proficient in Latin for a while, but uh, as you don't use it, it fades. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you mentioned you've kind of been all over, um, but where did you grow up? Where's home for you? So home for me was St. Louis. Um, grew up there, um, one of 11 children. All oh, my wow. siblings are uh, still alive. So uh, we had two incredibly dedicated parents, and, and I would say I had an absolutely amazing childhood. I grew up in a wonderful neighborhood. It was a real true village, and uh, it was wonderful, very stable, very nice. I was very, very blessed with two amazing parents. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious. So there at, was there any point where all 13 of you were, were in the household together? Were there many years where all 13 were there? Just a few years uh, with crossover ages. Stem to stern, the oldest is 20 years older than the youngest. So uh, we had a couple of years in there until the older boys started going off to the military. Yeah, so I'm curious, uh, the household, uh, 13 people, what was the layout of the house? Yeah, we had a very large home um, and it had nine bedrooms. It was three and a half floors, not including a split level basement. So, uh, just enough to spread out, but not too big. And uh, we lived in hand-me-down world, but uh, oh, yeah. it worked out really, really well. And uh, 
it was a great neighborhood to grow up in. A lot of families had a lot of kids in those days, and uh, we were part of that. That is that is really neat. I know about the hand-me-down. I have two children, and uh, we're, we're definitely familiar with receiving and giving on the hand-me-downs. So you grew up in St. Louis. At what point were you thinking, or, or tell us, because I know healthcare wasn't your first spot, right? Or what actually was it when you were thinking of, of growing up? I know there was, you've kind of done two different things with your career. Tell us about your journey, um, whether it was faith first, healthcare first. Well, I started out in public school um, for high school. I was in uh, Catholic grade school growing up. And then I decided, uh, thought I would go to the seminary high school. So I went to the seminary high school and then continued on in college. And in my college days, it was, I had a lot of thoughts around um, going into medical school at some point between college and graduate school. I was doing um, hospital visitations in those days as part of our outreach to the community. And um, that was uh, part of the curriculum that we would do volunteer work. So I did mine at St. John's Mercy Hospital in St. Louis and uh, really liked being in hospitals and liked talking with patients and spending time with them. So that was something I really enjoyed. So between college and graduate school, I actually thought about uh, going into medical school. So I picked up an application at St. Louis University Medical School in those days, but ultimately ended up staying in the seminary. I was ordained Catholic priest in 1982 and then laicized in 1994. So, uh, but uh, certainly uh, the spirit of working with people and continuing especially in healthcare was something that I was always passionate about. Yeah, I read an article recently on California Healthline, and it seems like your mother was definitely influential um, on on your early decision to to join, you know, the, the religious side of the world. Um, at what point did you decide to jump back and and head out of the priesthood and, and go into healthcare? I was in active ministry for a number of years in uh, several parishes, and then decided to take a leave of absence, just kind of discern where where I fit best. And I immediately gravitated to a healthcare job. My first job was an intake director at a drug and alcohol treatment center. So uh, I worked in San Diego in those days. And uh, that was the early days of, uh, of crystal meth and some of the other really onerous drugs that hit the streets. So those services in those days were very needed, but um, I enjoyed working in uh, chemical dependency and substance use and uh, started uh, out as an intake director and ended up uh, assistant administrator within a very short period of time. And that kind of launched my healthcare career. I answered an ad in the San Diego Union Tribune. Yeah, Union Tribune still going strong today. Um, I'm very familiar with them. So you grew up in St. Louis. And you mentioned San Diego. So were you already in San Diego when you jumped into healthcare or what brought you out to the Southwest? No, I transferred from the uh, Archdiocese of St. Louis to the Diocese of San Diego. I have always had uh, arthritis problems uh, and still do. So the weather in St. Louis, when you get down to about 17 degrees or below, it's a little bit rough on arthritis. So time for me to uh, exit the Midwest and it was Arizona or California. I don't know, San Diego sounded really good. Palm tree, sunshine, beach. I think that's a good spot to go. So arranged that uh, transfer and then came out to California. So that's how I got there. 
Got it. Yeah, I'm very familiar. My wife and I, uh, we actually, San Diego is our anniversary spot every year for a little weekend getaway. So uh, you can definitely find some good uh, good Mexican food out there for sure. And I know you're in Orange County now, which also has great Mexican. So um, so you join healthcare and I know you've done different leadership roles and you even have your own uh, consulting. You started doing consulting as well. How did you end up over at Cal Optima? So um, as part of the uh, outreach work, the uh, last health system that I had the privilege of working with and uh, managing was the Providence Health and Services for Southern California. So I oversaw the uh, Los Angeles market, our six hospitals and clinics and all of our staff there. And then uh, left Providence and started my own healthcare advisory firm and uh, worked with hospitals, health systems, health plans, medical groups, other healthcare and non-healthcare uh, clients, and uh, was asked to uh, start working with CalOptima late last fall by their then CEO at that time. And so he had asked if I would be willing to come in and do some consulting with them on the health plan side. Um, I'm very well known to the hospitals and to the medical groups. I'm former chair of the board of the Hospital Association of Southern California. So I grew up in the association. So I know most of the CEOs going 20 plus years and we've all been colleagues with each other. And then having worked with the majority of the executives at the large medical groups and Cal Optima has what we call a delegated model where we delegate out the responsibility to take care of the patients to large multi-specialty medical groups. So those are the, called the delegated groups. And I know a lot of those executives because I've been around for a very long time, both contracting with them, working with them. And then their physicians also practiced in many of the hospitals that I was the CEO of over my career. So um, started doing some advisory work and then um, the then CEO decided to retire after 37 years of a well, well-deserved retirement. Yeah, board then said, would you be willing to step in as an interim until we do a search? I said, more than happy to do so. So on uh, November the 9th, started as the interim. Then the board came and said, hmm, we'd really like you to stay on. Would you be willing to take a permanent role? So uh, we discussed that. I discerned that and then accepted a permanent CEO position. Uh, with the three-year contract uh, to be here at Cal Optima. That's a great, uh, great explanation of the journey. I, I follow Cal Optima a little bit, and I knew they had an interim uh, CEO. So thanks for kind of fleshing that out and how that all came together. So um, one thing we want to really focus in on today is is both Cal Optima, but also Cal AIM. Now, Cal Optima, I've known of Cal Optima for probably a little over 10 years now. And the name itself, I never really looked at, what is the, where does the name come from, CalOptima? So, CalOptima was created by the Orange County Board of Supervisors in 1993. It's called a County Organized Health System, or COHS, C-O-H-S. And um, CalOptima stands for Orange Prevention Treatment Integrated Medical Assistance. And the Cal is California. So I know that goes by pretty quick. So it's part of Orange for Orange County, prevention and treatment, taking care of folks, integrated medical assistance, meaning the COS model puts together all the doctors, the hospitals, 
the medical groups, the physicians, the community clinics, the support system, the community-based organizations and other community supports and helps coordinate all of those entities around the member. And so the member is in the middle and all of these services are able to be coordinated for that one member at any given time. And so CalOptima was created in 1993. So it is a Medicaid health plan. We call it Medi-Cal for California. And um, folks that uh, are part of us uh, are now able to access that that network uh, that allows for that prevention, treatment, and integrated medical assistance. So uh, that's what the name actually stands for. Uh, but I would uh, probably not be able to give out an award for somebody to remember it. But hopefully <laughs> through the podcast now, more people will know what the name is about. Yes, absolutely. And shame on me for, for knowing of Calipto for so long and not really knowing until now, but thank you for the explanation. So one thing that I think a lot of folks might think of when they think of Orange County, where Caloptima serves as the county uh, operated health system. I probably said, I probably messed that up, but go. Oh, I mean, 25% or around 25% of Orange County population are Caloptima members. Now I know growing up and just hearing the stereotype of OC, you think, you know, upper middle class, uh, and that everyone, you know, you, you don't necessarily think that, oh, wow, such a large chunk of the population is receiving Medi-Cal benefits. Tell us a, a little bit about who those 25% uh, of folks are. There are about 3.2 million residents here in Orange County. Uh, I've lived in Orange County for the last 26 years, and um, I've certainly watched the county grow. We have almost 900,000 members that qualify for Medi-Cal through CalOptima, just in Orange County. And um, that's about 27% of the population of Orange County. So about one in three are members of CalOptima. Now, how do they qualify? They qualify based on their income. And the federal government sets levels of income that allow you to qualify to receive Medicaid benefits. And for us here in California, again, we just call it Medi-Cal, they're one and the same. And so here we look at it and they have established what's called a federal poverty level. And what that means is you qualify for CalOptima if it's a family of four and you earn less than $38,295 a year for a family of four. Can you imagine trying to make it on that, living in Orange County for a family of four? Yeah, I know. And for an individual, um, just an adult by themselves, they would have to make less than $18,755 based on the federal poverty level. About a third of our members are children. So at approximately 900,000, that means we currently insure through the CalOptima Health Plan, about 300,000 kids. So our network of providers in pediatrics is really critically important. 
So you would think that we live in this amazingly affluent community, but if you drive these neighborhoods and you look in our communities, you will realize not everybody's living uh, in a beach house. Yeah. And so that's the economic reality here. And we're here to serve that very, very important part of the population because without these medical services, these 900,000 folks would not have access to healthcare. And that's part of the reason that these county organized health systems even exist across the state. Um, we're the largest county organized health system called COES with 900,000 members. There's others up and down the state, but we're the largest uh, as a single COES model or county organized health system. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down, Michael. So. In 2022, we have CalAIM, um, and I know each, whether it's a, a co like yourself throughout the state or a private health plan that manages Medi-Cal members, um, has the ability to do certain things with CalAIM. Can you give, and we, we have done a mini series with CalAIM um, with other leaders similar to yourself throughout the state. Can you give a super brief overview of CalAIM and then start to break down what CalOptima is doing with CalAIM? Yeah. So CalAIM is really uh, a program, five-year program that was put in place by the state. And it's really about innovations in Medi-Cal. So it's about creating innovation, hence the word AIM. And it allows for the health plans like CalOptima, as county organized health system, to be able to provide and do things we've never done before. But one of the first initiatives inside advancing Medi-Cal uh, innovation, AIM, advancing innovation in Medi-Cal, um, the state uh, pulled in all of the prescription drug administration to the state level. Up until January 1st, that was delegated out to the health plans across the state. And we have pharmacists here and pharmacy techs here and individuals that oversee the administrative part of getting someone an authorization to get their prescription. So no different when you go to the drugstore and you provide your insurance card and they type it in their computer and then they get an authorization for your medication, then you pay your copay. So we traditionally were doing the authorization pieces and then parts of it were delegated to our groups. The state pulled that in and took all that over for the entire state. And they brought in a third party called Magellan uh, to be able to provide uh, that administrative function for the state with the goal on an innovations front of being able to cohort together that magnitude of prescriptions and save money because the state will have the ability to contract with not only the pharmaceutical companies, but also the pharmacy companies that dispense to get the best possible pricing and to make the access to those uh, medications as easy as possible. So that started in January and we um, then stopped doing that administration and that was the first launch. The plans across the state can implement a whole host of plans. 
uh, for CalAIM. And one of the plans we have is looking at expanding what's called recuperative care. And that allows an individual, uh, generally um, they're coming from a hospital, they're being discharged, they may be housed or unhoused, they may have a shelter spot, they may not, and they just need some place to recuperate before they can go back to whether it's the shelter, if it's the street, if they choose or elsewhere. And so that recuperative care uh, allows for an individual to have a place to go, receive basic services, certainly food and shelter. And then we start to work with them in these programs to get connected with housing, to get connected with social services to get connected with medical care and with dental care. And so uh, CalAIM now allows CalOptima to expand on its own recuperative care. We currently work very closely uh, with Illumination Foundation in Fullerton, and they have a really excellent uh, recuperative care program. And that allows those individuals to have a place to go. They have on-site medical clinic, on-site dental. They have a place for people to put their belongings. They even have a, a section set out for individuals' pets because uh, their pets are very important, of course. And then they have all the other social services to connect them as well to housing, housing navigation, and ultimately housing deposits and placement. So CalOptima now is looking to expand that as part of CalAIM. Next, we will look to expand housing navigation. How do you get an individual that's unhoused or even working but can't afford an apartment? They're living in their car and we wanna get them out of their car into permanent housing. And so this program through CalAIM now allows us to begin those navigation services. And there are a lot of other organizations in Orange County that do this great work and uh, we will look to coordinate with them. In addition, okay, we find a place, we work with the folks that have the affordable housing, but then we need a deposit. Yeah. And now CalAIM is allowing us to dispense deposits to allow them to get in. And that allows them to uh, really work well. And so all of this is meant to be coordinated under CalAIM. And up until now, the health plans have only been able to delegate this out, but never actually do it as the plan. And so now CalOptima will look to coordinate with our community-based providers and our community partners. And we want to expand those services as CalOptima to reach more of our members. Yeah, that's great. I've been to a uh, recuperative care center before, and I, I think probably much of our audience may not be familiar unless they're working in the hospital. Um, I, I've been in healthcare almost 20 years, and I just learned of recuperative care probably in year 10 or 15, like somewhere in that window. And uh, it's a really neat resource that plans and hospitals are contracting with. And um, I think most, a lot of us didn't even know they existed. So that's really great. So uh, the housing navigation, housing deposits are under the umbrella of community supports um, where there's 14 different services that uh, plans can choose to opt into. Um, typically, like the beginning of the year, July 1st is when they 
that can open up these new services, but there's also something called enhanced care management, uh, often referred to as ECM. And I think a lot of folks that are listening in or watching Michael might be familiar with like a hospital case manager or just like a, a general case manager, but could you break down why enhanced care management is really important for uh, CalOptima or just Medi-Cal beneficiaries? Sure, and one of the programs that CalAIM uh, launched very early was enhanced care management. And like you said, Gavin, care management is really about coordinating and assisting in the navigation of healthcare for an individual that has a lot of needs or complex medical issues. <clears throat> so enhanced care management is designed to meet both clinical and non-clinical needs of individuals that have high needs and this includes members that we have in Caloptima that are homeless, have medically complex conditions, um, individuals with substance use uh, issues, and even mental illness. And right now for Caloptima, we believe based on our analytics, our data, there are about 10,000 of our individuals that would really be a very good fit for enhanced care management. And we've already signed up about 2,500 over the last 90 plus days. And so we'll continue to do that. And for those members of ours that belong to our delegated networks, they also can access enhanced care management for members that are part of a particular medical group here in Orange County if they're assigned to that medical group. And it's really meant to put an individual in contact and they can be on the street, they can be in a shelter, they can be at home, it doesn't matter where they are. We can start to assign them to an individual that will help them better coordinate those complexities. These individuals uh, also uh, consume and need a lot of services. Yep. And that's part of why we're here to make sure they receive those. But coordinating that to get the best possible effect for their care treatment is what this enhanced care management is meant to do. And case managers here at CalOptima perform enhanced care management. We have health network case managers out in the delegated medical groups that are doing this. And CalOptima wants to expand our enhanced care management into the provider network community-based organizations. There are um, up to about 35 clinics in Orange County. Uh, 29 of them are in a coalition for community clinics. And we have 17 or so federally qualified health clinics, uh, which are very particular types of clinics providing care uh, to those most in need. And we wanna be able to better coordinate our members that are eligible for enhanced care management, even inside those networks and in our community clinics and in the federally qualified health clinics, they serve as medical homes for our members. Uh, out of our 900,000 members, 250,000 currently, their medical home are the community clinics. 
And those community clinics are very, very important to us. Uh, recently, our board approved a five-year, $10 million a year, $50 million grant to the community clinics to help support what I refer to as the safety net of being able to have a medical home. And we felt from Caloptima, since they're already seeing 250,000 of our members, and we anticipate more membership, uh, depending on how the economy goes, as you know, yeah. the federal poverty limit is based on employment, and then you add inflation, and that can be very problematic. So that's a little bit on enhanced care management. Yeah, so with with ECM or enhanced care management, um, <clears throat> you mentioned, I think, 2,500 members have been enrolled in the uh, last 90 days for Caloptima. And one thing I've heard, Michael, is, and feel free to let me know if I'm wrong, is while we're able to enroll folks in ECM, some of the folks may not want to be found or may not trust healthcare. And you mentioned these FQHCs that are likely, you know, geographically within uh, communities of where these folks live. How do you, how, what, tell us about the trust issue or, or why some of these folks may not want to seek care and how we overcome that. You know, um, I went out <clears throat> a couple of months ago on the point-in-time count here in Orange County, and the point-in-time count is a survey of the homeless that are on the street, and the county organizes a count over a three-day period, and they ask for volunteers to go out into communities and survey the homeless. So it's a iPhone-based survey, so you get the survey, you load it onto your phone, you go out and you talk to the individual, and then you fill out that survey online and submit it while you're in the field. So a number of us here from Caloptima volunteered, including myself, and we uh, went out onto the streets, and this is straight to the trust issue. So uh, we did the city of Fountain Valley with the group I was with. They assign you to a geographic territory and they assign you typically with a uh, homeless liaison police officer for that city. And our cities are, are really uh, well organized and being able to have liaison officers who understand the social condition of homelessness and being unhoused. And they get to know these individuals exactly to try to build trust. So when we go out, well, we're a stranger. Yeah. And now we're asking a bunch of questions like, what's your name? What city do you spend most of your time in? Are you a veteran? How long have you been unhoused? Where do you spend most of your time? Even if you're unhoused, what city do you do that? Do you have a job? When was the last job you had? You know, do you have food on a daily basis? You know, just a lot of core questions. So I went out, we worked with one of the officers in Fountain Valley, and we did nine square miles of Fountain Valley uh, from 7 p.m. to about midnight. It was a very cold night. It was a rainy night. And uh, we talked to a lot of individuals, and I'm in the park on my knee in the dirt with the same folks I'm talking with and we're under the bridges and we're behind buildings and dumpsters and you know electric boxes behind strip malls the mom and her son living in the car behind a fast food uh, restaurant uh, others in their vans or in their 
uh, RVs parked in industrial areas of Fountain Valley. And the biggest issue is gaining enough trust. So the officer would go to the individual first and introduce herself again. And a lot of them knew her. Yeah. And she's like, look, these, these folks are okay. They're not here to do anything harmful to your well-being or get you moved or you're not in trouble. They just want to ask a few questions and they have some things that they'll give you, some food and different things. We had care packs that we gave out, you know, including hand sanitizer and uh, food cards to be able to get um, food at restaurants and things like that. And so how do you overcome that trust? And I will tell you, it is extremely difficult. And for those that don't want to be in enhanced care management, you can't force them. Yeah. So we know that it probably takes 10 or maybe even up to 12 times to have a consistent interaction with an individual that is very untrustworthy before they begin to trust. Because if you're living on the street, that's not a trust environment. And so it's really difficult. But the way that we do it and the way that our care managers do it is consistency. Uh, growing up in a large family, my mother had a few things to say, one of which is, what do kids need most? And she said, they're co-equal. They need love and consistency. And they need consistency and love. And individuals, even on the street, it's the same. They need consistency and they should know what to expect. And if they know what to expect and it's consistent, that'll build trust. Without that, it's really hard to convince somebody that doesn't want help to get it. So I have a good question, Gavin. Yeah, and, and um, it's interesting that, that you went out in the evening from 7 p.m. to 12. I'm guessing that's when it's you might have better luck accessing folks versus earlier in the day. I may ask, like, 7 p.m. to midnight, like, is that, am I onto something or what's the purpose of that? So time those time frames uh, were picked uh, by the point in time. A group that organizes it because this is when most of the individuals are stationary. Ah. Otherwise, they're in motion during the day, moving from point A to point B. And most folks aren't interested in sitting down and having a, you know, a nine or 11 minute conversation when they're in motion. And in addition, most of the folks, especially in their cars and RVs, they're parked for the night. Yeah. And so again, you can approach them, certainly not scare them, but um, the officer that we worked with, she was really quite excellent uh, in Fountain Valley and she knew just how to talk to them and explain why we were there. And some folks did decline to talk to us. And so that, that trust factor is a big deal, Gavin. Yeah, what per, if you had to guesstimate, Michael, what percentage of folks would you say were receptive to the conversation versus were not? No, about 75% were and 25% were just, no, I have no interest. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. So that was my experience that night with the individuals that we encountered with our with our small group. Okay. Well, I mean, hey, more wins, more wins than not. So with the early stage of ECM, you mentioned 2,500 have enrolled in the last 90 days. Three out of four are willing to talk to you guys. Um, we're recording in mid-April. What are some of the initial wins or, or what you'd claim victory in the first few months or successes? Yeah, I think that the key is given that we now have 2,500 individuals that are involved in enhanced care management, that means we're helping somebody really navigate their health care 
and manage their healthcare needs. That's a win. That's a big deal. And you can imagine if you have a behavioral health issue, a substance use issue, you have diabetes, you have cardiac issues, you have neuro or neurology issues, you have orthopedic problems, foot problems, hip problems, knee problems. Having somebody to help you coordinate all that, help you get into your appointments, help you get any of the authorizations you need, and then follows up with you to make sure that everything went okay, those are huge wins. So I I tell our staff here quite often, um, I know today, right now, and this is April 18th at 9.13 a.m. Uh, on the West Coast here, and I know in Orange County that it is the most important moment in one of our Cal Optima members right now, this moment. And that can be a very happy moment or it can be an incredibly sad moment. But I know they're counting on us to get all this stuff right. And they're certainly, for those that are in enhanced care management, they're counting on those care managers to get it right for their well-being. And uh, I can only imagine the the relief. So a win is taking the stress away from somebody who's worried about their well-being and actually wants help, is willing to accept help. And now there's somebody that actually cares about me. And then the consistency of that delivery is where we'll find the win. And then that improves community health. More importantly, it improves that member's health, that individual, and ultimately imagine the halo effect of if they're better, the stress on their family is less, the worry on their significant others is less, they do better, the family does better, it contributes to community health. Yeah, well, well said, a little domino effect there. So I mentioned earlier, you know, community supports and you guys have rolled out the housing deposits and uh, are working on housing navigation. What are some other things uh, our audience can expect as we wrap up today's episode uh, in the months and years to come? What, what's new or coming down the pipe for Cal Optima? So our board recently approved a new mission and vision statement for Cal Optima. And our mission statement starts off with the word serve to serve and with dignity and respect. And to me, I think looking to the future, um, folks can expect that we will dedicate ourselves to serving that member. Another vision came forward um, that was crafted by our board chair, Supervisor Andrew Doe, who's the chair of the board for Cal Optima. And he came in and he was very passionate about wanting to establish a vision. Where are we going? What, what do we really want to accomplish that will really touch community health? And the vision he had was same-day treatment authorizations, same-day claims payment, and an annual health assessment of all of our members so we can predetermine what it is that they might be needing that we can pre-anticipate. And he had um, had some interactions with some folks uh, that are on the, uh, the credit side in some other meeting. And it dawned on him in that meeting, when you go to fill out a credit application, they're asking you a lot of life questions. And they're determining your life circumstance. 
and they're able to predict in an algorithm in an analytic way kind of what the trajectory of your fiscal well-being will be based on the loan they're going to give you yeah and they correlate all this data about you and determine whether or not you're a good risk or not and he's like why can't we use those same learnings i mean this is like wow i mean it's like that is really impactful why can't we use these use artificial intelligence or algorithm algorithmic uh, machine learning to take the data points and say here's where we predict one of our members might be in six months why should we wait until the circumstance is so bad that they are homeless can we intervene sooner yeah so why can't we do this on an annual or maybe more than the annual basis for our members so that new vision has been adopted by our board and that's powerful and uh, that's his vision and we all looked at it and said this is amazing obviously we all had input and then our board approved it so what you can look forward to from cal optima is really this advancing innovation in medi-cal and we can do same-day treatment authorizations for all authorizations we can do same days claim payment we get a claim uh, a bill we pay it wow providers you hear that <laughs> That is a great, that is an awesome vision. So um, th th that's a great vision by Supervisor Doe and um, I did not know that um, or I didn't recall that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that because um, I know saying it is one thing, right? Executing, which is real, it can't happen, but that's the next step. So um, awesome vision. I love how you say serve. Um, I know with your faith background, that means a lot as well. So. Uh, Michael, this has been a great episode. Um, if folks want to keep tabs on what you and Cal Optima are up to, is just following on the website or social media. Any suggestions there on how to best keep tabs with Cal you know, Optima? We, we stay pretty up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And uh, our board meetings are public. You can listen in. They, they stream on the internet. Uh, we're working on uh, having them stream with video right now. It's audio. But uh, that's how folks can stay up. Uh, we will also continue to outreach through media like the uh, Pop Health podcast uh, that you, Gavin, are putting on. And thank you for that great effort in helping tell a message and get the word out about uh, innovations in healthcare. And I think, uh, in addition, we'll work with uh, the community to continue to uh, to enhance uh, the knowledge of what Cal Optima is doing in support of our members. So. Uh, look to uh, the media and to our website and a lot of good information to be found. Awesome, Michael. Well, hey, really appreciate you joining the show today. All right. Thanks so much, Gavin Ward and Top Health Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.